this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, it's our first episode of 2021. 2020 is finally behind us, and it is glorious. I had a cowbell, I'd be ringing it. <laughs> Did you get your um, your uh, your sauerkraut and uh, and your sausage or or corn or, or corned beef? Your traditional uh, New Year's Day. Uh... Uh, we have a little bit of uh, as close as I'm going to get. We have a little bit of uh, pork shoulder left. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do that. There you go. Get that pork shoulder. So for this episode, Jay. We are doing our final poll of 2020. Our patrons picked from a list of records. Uh, they were able to um, come to a, a pretty, uh, I'll say, uh, solid and um, uh, conclusive result on this poll. This was not, this will not have a second chance. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, it, in the future, um, it was uh, it was pretty overwhelming in terms of the uh, the number of votes that the winner got. But let's um, and I was not familiar with a lot of the bands on this. Yeah, let's go through them. By the way, um, so the suggestions were Chimera or Chimera Earth Loop from Gary Moran, Holly McNarland Stuff from Darren Lehman. Roy Nerland suggested Motorcycle, Timothy's Monster. Uh, Radar Brothers self-titled was suggested by Chris Borger. Morning Windows self-titled was suggested by Richard Waterman. Matthew Tollick suggested Seam, The Problem With Me. Kwame Johnson suggested Drive, suggested Drive Like Jehu's Yank Crime. Dave Brown suggested All's Breaking Things. And Kyle Bittner suggested fret blanket fret blankets junk fuel and also kyle had a question related to the video now if if you're just joining us or you you you're not aware the audio goes out to everybody via itunes and and whatever service you use to download your podcast but we also post video of every episode that we record because we have very entertaining walls behind us and um <laughs> And I have a bug right now on my computer right now. Uh, but behind me on my on my wall is uh, remember the flats you used to see at, at stores. Uh, they were the size of an album cover, but they were um, promo pieces. Uh, I have a couple of those hanging on my wall behind me. One is for the Tragically Hips Phantom Power, and the other one is for Catherine Wheels Happy Days. He asked if they were special, and I said, "Well, be you know, they're two of my favorite records." But they're not signed or anything. I do have a signed Afghan Wigs promo 
poster, but it's like a full size poster. But yeah, you can. I, I, do, I have the same one. You can see it behind me. Yep, we were at the same show and got them signed. Um, and then I have some the, like set some set lists. I have the promo of the Cults self titled that we reviewed many years ago. Oh, nice! That's yep. with the uh, with the horned uh, ram. Yep. Yep. I don't remember how I got that, but there it is. <laughs> you know what, though? They used to just toss those after the albums were out for a while. I remember that there were stores that would just throw all the posters and bins by the front door and you could just grab them when you were walking out. Because they, they would be cycling through new records and new promo material. And so it would all just end up in like a junk pile. And now if you go onto eBay and you, <laughs> you want to buy one of those things, good luck. And I think I'm going to maybe could do some redecorating live. So I've got the, the triple oh, fast action vinyl today. Nice. This, this thing is heavy duty, man. Yeah. <laughs> it I is all the pictures. Very thick. Many, what, there's four records? How many records are in here? It's a double album plus um, some of them have a bonus flexi disc. It's like a seven inch flexi. Yeah. Like, so I got a flexi here. Yep. That's uh, pretty cool. I haven't seen these since they used to come in magazines. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I might do some redecorating and the uh, Sheila Divine record that I've had over here behind me, I might now replace that with Triple Class Action. Now you have a second record. Congratulations, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I also finally got my copy of uh, Lisa Memory Moonshot last week, which only took so six So did months. I. Yes. Took a little while. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting the um the reissue of In the Valley of Dying Stars, which is coming out this year. And then also I I ordered that seven inch that they released uh, with those really good two new songs. Uh around it was around um Thanksgiving. Yep. Um and I need to thank uh I already thanked them in in over the messenger, but Phil Fleming did me a solid one of our patrons. I actually went out for record store day. The third one, you know how they did those drops uh, at different times during the fall. So on the third drop, there was an Uncle Tupelo live album, and it was really the only thing I was interested in getting. And every store in Columbus was sold out immediately. So I put it out on my Facebook page. Hey, if anybody's got a record store near them and can check, I'd really like to get a copy. And Phil happens to live near um, Bull Moose, which has a couple stores, I think. And um, he was able to grab me a copy and he shipped it. And then it got stuck in the Christmas delays of of uh, the UPS yeah. and you and you USPS. So it took a, an extra week to get here, but um, gladly added that to my to my collection. It sounds great. Cool. So back to our our poll, Jay. Unfortunately, Kyle, your your pick did not win. Um, quite frankly, all of them got squashed. By Drive Like Jehu, which came it was the only double digit vote getter. Um, Yank Crime was the overall uh, champion. I think if you add everybody else up, they equal uh, Yank Crime's votes. Well, I think Drive Like Jehu and all were the only two bands I was had ever even heard of before. And I only know all because of the review, we, the 80s review that we did, right? Right, because they're connected to the Descendants. Uh, Right. Yep. So 
Yeah, this was a very to, for me at least was seemed like a very obscure. Um, yeah, the, the hopper was on the obscure side when it pulled these out. Right, I I had heard the name Fret Blanket, like it just was one of those '90s names, and I've actually listened to Seam because that is uh, one of the members of Bitch Magnet, and we had John from Bitch Magnet on years ago. Um, and then Radar Brothers, I think I've just heard the name, but everything else was completely new. Um, I didn't Fret know Blanket about the you know, Court connection. I didn't either until I was putting together the promo um for this the post and whatnot and the the tweets and stuff and i went and got the album art and i was like this guy looks like nuno on the cover what's going on (laughs) and then i saw it was richard that nominated it, who also nominated the extreme album that we reviewed a couple weeks ago and uh yeah it was a a betancourt brothers uh side project in the late 90s so jeremy amend he voted for yank crime he said it was um, in his introduction to math rock. Kyle Bittner went with Fret Blanket, although he does really like Drive Like Jehu. Uh, David Gorgos went with Seam. Andrew O.C. said, my first instinct was to click Yank Crime. It's a great record, but also fairly iconic and kind of falls into that. What else is there to say about it? However, thank you for rec- reminding me of Junk Fuel. It's been a while since I gave that a spin. Consider that dug out. Well, at least if you give it a listen, that's, you know, we've done some work there. Uh, Scott Witt said, if Nuno is involved, then I have to choose uh, choose that. So Morning Windows. Um, Steve Muzinski said, looks like Yank Crime is taking this one by a landslide, which is A-OK with me. Uh, he lives in San Diego, and um, they were a San Diego band, which we'll talk about. Absolutely love how much bite and snark Rick Froberg brings to the table, no matter what band he's in. But I tend to think of this record as particular as a particular highlight among his many offerings. I do hope when discussing the history of the band, you'll talk about the ultimate punk rock power move that John Rees and company pulled with getting Jehu and Rocket both signed to Interscope largely on their own terms and conditions. Um. And then Darren Leach said, while it is a powerful album full of angular guitars and different key changes, by the end, I had listener fatigue due to the shouty vocals. So a little bit of dissension there on the um, on the album referred to as iconic and what else is there to say? Well, apparently there is something else to say. So thanks, everybody, for commenting on this poll. Now, Jay, I know you're familiar with Rocket from the Crypt because we've covered Rocket from the Crypt. Have you listened to Drive Like Jehu before this? Yeah. Um, so when I moved to Columbus, it was sort of, uh, I think, at the beginning of the Garage Rock revival. So, and, you know, Columbus is a little bit of a scene for that. So uh, I just remember absorbing a lot of bands sort of in this ecosystem um rocket from the crypts i heard a heard drive like jehu hot snakes mm-hmm. um stuff like that um new bomb turks like punkier things or like this there's a little bit more noise rock um so yeah i, I remember at the time i honestly always get them confused with hot snakes mm-hmm. yeah me too <laughs> um 
In fact, uh, when I was reviewing this record, I was like, didn't they just put a record out a couple of years ago? I really liked. And I'm like, oh, it's not on streaming. What the hell? And I realized, oh shit, it was Hot Snakes. And it was the Jericho Sirens record from 2018 mm-hmm. that Hot Snakes did that I think is really, really good. Um, so I've always gotten these two bands confused. They even have like similar artwork and they share members and so. Right. Yeah, I have the same problem. I just kind of consider it all one like big group because um, there's so many members that cross over. So let's do a little history of Drive Like Jehu. History of the band. They were actually a, a different band. Um, prior to this, uh, Rick Froberg and guitarist John Rees played together in a band called Pitchfork from 1986 to 1990 with bassist Mike Kennedy and drummer Mark Trebino playing in a band called Night Soil Man from 87 to 90. And then the, the two bands played together a lot. Pitchfork broke up uh, after some creative differences. And um, Night Soil Man broke up. And Reese began hanging out with Kennedy. They were big fans of a band called Honor Roll. Reese had already had, had Rocket from the Crypt. And so... At some point, uh, we know that we know this because we covered it in the Rocket from the Crypt episode. Um, Interscope was interested in Drive Like Jehu and also was kind of sort of talking about Rocket from the Crypt because of um, they weren't the, the primary band to sign to Interscope, it was it was Drive Like Jehu. So they talked to um, John Reese and Reese got them both bands signed with like total control over their uh like career i mean they had total control over their output um which even big bands didn't pull that off (laughs) and he talked them into it so he got both records or, or both bands signed um so their original release was their self-titled. It came out on Cargo Headhunter in 1991. Then they released a seven-inch on Merge Records in 1992, um, Hand Over Fist and Bullet Train of Vegas. And then Yank Crime came out on Interscope in 1994. There was a reissue of Yank Crime, which includes the two songs from the seven-inch plus a different version of the final song, uh, on Yank Crime, which is Snooze. There was a different mix of that song. So there's three extra songs on the reissue. I think it came out in like 2013. So the members of of uh, Drive Like Jehu are rhythm guitarist and vocalist Rick Froberg. Froberg. I keep messing up his name. Uh, lead guitarist John Reese. Bassist Mike Kennedy. And drummer Mike Trombino. Um Chris Bratton was a band. I was a member of the band uh, for a short period. He also drummed with Wool and No No for an Answer and uh, some other bands. Um, they were only together until basically the release of this record. They broke up in 1995, uh, and then you have Reese concentrating on Rocket from the Crypt, and then in addition to Rocket from the Crypt. Um, Hot Snakes starts up in 1999. That goes till 2005. And that's a lot of the same members. It's Froberg, Reese. Well, those are the two main ones. And then that's with Garwood and uh, some other gentlemen. 
And then there's also a band called Back Off Cupids. That was in 1994. They formed and they released an album in 2000. Um, and then there's also a band called The Night Marchers, which is John Reese and Gar Wood. <laughs> They've been together since 2007. They've released a couple of records. And then you have um, Sultans, which again is another John Reese <laughs> band. Um, started in 2000. They've released a couple of records. And Rick Froberg went on to to um, start a band with Sorab Habibian, who was in a band called Edsel, which we reviewed way back in like season two. They were in a band together called Obits from 2006 to 2015. Lots of cross-pollination yep. with all this. And um, Drive Like Jehu has gotten back together for a short period of time in 2014 to 2016 uh, to play some shows. And um, they did a Coachella uh, appearance and in All Tomorrow's Parties uh influence or uh, automatic parties uh show so let's talk about jay this record yank crime released 1994 tell me one thing you liked about it sounds like youth sounds like uh super energetic young men <laughs> um <laughs> i guess you could use the term angsty uh but it's just bursting with energy um and in this controlled chaos you know i think that when this album works well you've got this rhythm section that um can play you know these really fast but very um powerful um rhythm parts drum parts and bass parts you know a lot of times when you hear bands moving at this tempo the thick drums can get a little like they're not punchy you know they'll use a higher snare so it cuts through and like you can tell they're not hitting hard, but like this drummer is just pounding everything. Um, and he's super solid. And that allows then the guitars to be utter chaos, um, which we I think we've talked about before um, with a couple other bands where I can comes to mind that we recently reviewed where I'm assuming they're using some kind of open tuning, but you get these two guitar interplays where um, you know, it's pretty dissonant and noisy, mm -hmm. but then they'll switch to a progression that's, you know, epic, you know, kind of go from this like swirling back and forth, you know, um, noisy guitar thing to like one will do like a droney kind of note and then the other will punch on top of it. And all of a sudden it becomes, you know, pretty melodic and epic sounding. Um, so I think that, you know, when you've got a rhythm section this tight, you, the guitars can do that and you can make some pretty special things happen. So, um, I think by having that formula down, then, then you can just go pure energy. So it's like pure energy, but still not to the point where, I mean, the, the, it's a, it takes a lot out of you to listen to this whole record but it's not as maybe difficult as some others we've listened to um and i think it's just like little nuances of 
of being, you know, solid players, having pretty solid riffs. Um, the vocals, a little, little bit on the kind of, you know, shouty, screechy end, but um, he kind of just goes right up to that line to where it's not super harsh to my ears, you know? Mm-hmm. So they just walk that line of like just putting out pure energy, but then also it, it feels like very, um, it still feels crafted. It still feels like, like it's all on purpose, you know, even though it's things are popping and whizzing and screeching. Um, and they're using a lot of dynamics of, you know, muting and harmonics and little tempo pickups or, you know, little riff builds, you know, there's a lot of little, little parts here and there that still bring like a a craft to it. So it doesn't just feel like pure, you know, experimental noise in the, you know, where it's just like open and you just see where it goes. It still feels somehow like this is the song, right? And it's, it's a crazy song, but we know where it's going and this is how we want it to work. So, yeah, I think it walks that line, you know, pretty, pretty well. And yeah, just maybe because of the, the point that I heard it and then some of the other bands it, it brings back, but it just sounded like youth to me. Like I, I can't imagine, you know, these guys in their forties or fifties playing these songs. Like, I don't know that it makes as much sense as it, as it did at the time. Um, no, it, I completely agree with you about that. Yeah. It, it sounds like a band that doesn't have a rule book that they're trying to adhere to. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there are, you look at this record, there are nine minute long songs on this record. And for some reason, it makes sense in terms of what they're doing and and just a total disregard for any traditional like songwriting, you know, verse, chorus, verse. Uh, I don't know that I could, I know that there are some repetitive parts in terms of like vocals that are yelled. Um, in in the in Luau. some there's some repetitive and actually um rob crow who came up in our san diego podcast as a as a member of a number of bands he sings uh back up on that song okay i i don't know what they're singing about (laughs) i know they're shouting new suits at sometimes and and luau and 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 (laughs) it's just it is 
wild and it sounds like a it, it reminds me of so many different bands that would come 10 years down the road or or yeah. five years down the road you know i hear like at the drive-in and and i think i read a quote that um cedric from at the drive-in said there'd be no at the drive-in without this band and this album um and, and i could totally hear that i mean what's weird is listening to this is um so this is happening around the same time that like the first sunday Day real estate album is happening which is called emo but when i hear this i go wow i hear a lot of emo in this record it's not an it's they're not an emo band to me yeah. but i i hear where bands took from them and and heard the the math rock heard the jumbled up um post hardcore post punk sounds and just disregarded anything with regards to format as as we know it and completely you know made something their own and you're right like these guitars can do anything they want because it's got this solid rhythm section going that's keeping it all grounded and i because the guitars are just crazy there's just stuff going on and you're like and it's not like it's not crazy in the sense of like shredding it's just like these bizarre um fingerings and i'm sure there's weird voicings with regards to tuning and you're just hearing things that i'm like you know i think we've talked about like learning cover songs i don't know how you would ever learn (laughs) one of these songs (laughs) right because they're so wild in their construction there's just there's it reminds me in some ways of like jazz where it's like Mm. like it's 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 not necessarily a bunch of soloing but it's just the parts don't seem to, I mean, there's sometimes there's chord progressions where you can hear what sound like chords, although they, they, they could be very messed up chords and they repeat, but there's so many parts that don't sound like anything I've ever heard before in terms of a, a regular, like chord, chord progression or, or riff that it has like an avant-garde aspect to it within certain parts. It's not the whole album, but there's just like, yeah. You know, it's funny because when I compare what John Reese does in Rocket from the Crypt, those are so like well-crafted little songs that that he, um, you know, combines punk and and more so at the beginning, the hard post-hardcore and and that stuff. But then evolves that band into this basically this crazy party band um, that is here. It's weird to hear him unleashed as a as a co-guitar player in this band yeah. and just just doing insane things you can hear some similarities in like um the way some of the core riffs are constructed and like some of the rhythms that they use are similar to what you might hear in a rock from the crypts crypt song the the patterns and the just the type of feel um too but it's 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 like that, but then wild. Like Rocket from the Crib would play it pretty like tight as a you know power chord, and then add in the horns, and then it would sound like cleaner and punchier. And this is like interpreting it with through a blender, <laughs> like just yeah, pure chaos and like yeah, some of the noises you're hearing it's hard. It's like we you know you got to back up and like what the hell was that? Was he like was that a pick on strings or like? what was that a, like a laser gun what the fuck was that like there's there's a ton of stuff like this on this record and um yeah i mean it just sounds 
it sounds chaotic, but it also sounds like it's on purpose. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? I do. Like now, what's... I don't know how they would reproduce this, but it sounds like they were reproducing this. Yeah. So what's weird is that I realized, so this came out on CD, but when the, so they did the CD with, I'm guessing, Interscope, and then their original label, um, Headhunter Records, I'm guessing put out the vinyl. The vinyl has a completely different list, uh, uh, not a completely different, it's an album with a seven inch. So you get the AB and that goes, it follows the first um, three songs and then it goes super unison, which is track five is moved to track four. Golden Brown is moved to track six or sorry, he's moved moved to track five from track three and then snooze is moved to track snooze is moved from track nine to six and then on the seven inch they put human interest which is track eight new intro which is track six and then on the b side of the seven inch is new math which is track seven so they completely reordered the the album to do it on vinyl which makes me think like there was no intent (laughs) in in the way that this is structured that they just they wrote apparently these songs and put them in the whatever order they wanted to for the both the vinyl and like i'm wondering if like the vinyl is actually the way they wanted it ordered as opposed to the way that the the cd is ordered i have no idea Mm -hmm. but it's crazy that i've never seen a band completely reorder usually like a song will get cut or Maybe you'll get the last song or something like that. But because there's these nine and seven minute long songs, you have to make all these changes. But it made me realize um, like how wild this is. So the CD version goes, it's it's what's on streaming through track nine. And then yeah. 10, 11, and 12 are from a different release that they've now tacked onto the streaming version of the record. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Wow. It's a lot yeah. of different uh, configurations for the same twelve songs, <laughs> right? How many, how right, many and the original and the original release only being nine songs, but being, you know, fifty something minutes because of the of the length of these tracks. Yeah, uh, which is, you know, usually when a band, especially a band that's this, uh, can be abrasive, starts meddling with that sort of track length. Yeah, it can it can present some like challenges in terms of your ability to stay with it. Yeah, I I found for the most part I I was because it's so energetic, and there was so much stuff going on that I I didn't tune out. Like I kept paying attention to what was going on. Did you have a problem with um, sticking with it? Some of the songs that get that are that are not as fast tempo become a little lumbery, like they. Once you pick up on like what the two chord riff is, um, I'm super sensitive to that. Like once I can like, I find a, a short loop, I like fo- fixate on that and then I start getting annoyed. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of songs, like Luau is a good example of that where, you know, once you get halfway through that song, you start picking up on that bass riff that they just keep playing over and over and over and over. Um, that That's where I got a little bit um, antsy. I kind of want to skip ahead 
and some of the it tended to be like those tempos like if they kept pushing the tempo i think i was with where you were where there was so much energy it was like okay we're we're just blowing through this right even though it's four or five minutes long like things keep happening and it keeps you know pulling right. you forward yeah i i thought the for me where it didn't work was more on the low slower tempos or mid tempos um i'm okay with something like new intro because it's a bit of a break in the record Luau, do you compute? Um, even Sinus, like I'm less interested in those and more in the like, you know, high energy, like just blow right through the door, man. Just keep like keep the pedal to the metal and just go. Right. Like, don't get too heady on me. Um and, and this record does that a little bit. I mean, those songs are they drag on, they're longer. They start to get a little bit, you know, maybe that's where the math rocky side comes in. Yeah. You know, and it's hard when you slow the tempos down, it starts to like leave more space. It asks more of the singer, like things just become more difficult. And that's not to say that bands that play slower are better than bands that play fast. It's just, you know, trying to find what you're best suited to. And for me, the tracks that are, that are pushing just fit what this band does better. Yeah, I agree with you. The 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 tracks that work best for me is when it's it sounds like it's out of control. Yeah. Because it's it's just moving so fast. And it's it's it sounds like a runaway freight a freight train. Yeah. Um so I agree with with Darren Leach when he said that by the end of the album you can get some fatigue. it wasn't necessarily because of the vocals, it was just the overall like the vo- the volume and then when it starts to slow down you get like you drag along with it i don't yep. i don't know how else to put it yeah but um i don't know if it's if it's you know if you shortened up those longer tracks i'm 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 hesitant to like say you need to cut stuff down cuz where do you cut certain songs i don't know well, I thought um, I thought a hand over a fist and bullet train to Vegas were, from a song standpoint, even though they weren't officially on this first CD release, like better material. I think it sounds you can hear their maybe Nirvana influence on those songs. Yeah, you sing a little bit Kurt Cobain on those, which you don't hear at all in the 
uh, on the rest of the record, but on those two songs, which came out earlier, right? Yeah, um, a couple of years earlier before the album. They sound a little different production-wise. They're not as, not as good and punchy sounding. But I kind of wish that those were included here, like re-recorded and um, maybe replaced a couple of the slower songs. That's probably what I would do. Um, not necessarily cut anything, just knowing that, you know, they had some other material that was maybe stronger, um, that they could have replaced uh, some things on here that were a little bit more, I don't know, experimental, meandering, jammy. Well, what's interesting is uh, there appears to be not much extra material from the from the Drive Like Jehu years. Yeah. But if you look at Rocket from the Crypt, there are like volumes of yeah. extra material. So I, I maybe it was just that Rick Froberg doesn't write um, a lot of extra stuff. Because uh, John Reese definitely seems to. <laughs> he seems <Yeah>. to have <laughs> a lot of extra material based on all those um, compilations of... Aren't those all system goes, like compilations of stuff? Those re- those Rocket from the Crypt releases? Well, yeah, and you mentioned like he's in five bands. Right. So, <laughs> um, yeah. You got you to use that Interscope money up. I mean, I assumed he built a studio and, you know, he, he has Swami Records and he's got, he's got his whole little empire that he's, that's going. So I don't, I don't think he's taking a, a part-time job <laughs> away from Rocket from the Crypt. <laughs> I, su- I assume that there are, plus all those reissues, because these are like, you know, beloved bands that he's in that had almost or they they do have cult followings so when they put out like a yank crime reissue with bonus tracks like i'm sure that that sells out yeah and and does well so there's there's a lot of interest from the core audience um i i'm with you just in terms of what didn't work i pretty much said it but like when it's i like the i like the speed and the up tempo and the chaos and like i want this to sound like a you know, like a blender is playing multiple jazz records at the same time. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's the fun. And when it starts to get a little slow, it, it definitely, it starts to get, it starts to drag so that you really feel the 53 minutes by the end of it. Yeah. And Hey man, John Reese got that right. And crack in the crypt. Like they don't write ballads. Nope. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, we're going to punch you in the face every song. Um, so (laughs) You know, this we might is a do little one bit earlier. Eight. Yeah, <laughs> this is a. You know, they only made one record. I, I, I'm assuming, like Two. I said, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with um, Hot Snakes. I'm assuming Hot Snakes is kind of more the progression. If this band would have continued, you know, they probably would sound not too far from that because they're pretty damn crazy and noisy too. So, and it's the same singer, guitar players. So. Um, if if you're into this, I would assume that like if you want to know where this band would go, I, I think it's probably very close to what Hot Snakes does, which is uh, actually also more melodic. It kind of takes some of the a little bit more of the melody that you hear and hear, and the hooks that they. You know, if this record has hooks, it's usually because they're beating you over the head with something. Right. Um, there's some clever lines and things here, um, and there's some great riffs and some movements that are 
really cool. Um, but you know, the, the vocal melodies are pretty underdeveloped. There's ideas there that are, um, could be honed and you kind of, at least in my ear, when I listen to hot sex, I kind of hear that same energy, but it's just another level, you know, in terms of understanding melody a little bit more, he sings a little bit, you know, you know, he, he gets pretty aggressive, but it's not quite in the same pitch. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's interesting to compare the two and um, kind of g- gave me a baseline for reviewing this record. Well, and um, so what's interesting about uh, Hot Snake is it's the drummer. Do you remember the band, the Delta 72? They were around um, late 90s, early 2000s. They were like, they were like pre- white stripes black keys not in terms of membership numbers but in terms of like exploring that blues yeah i vaguely um, remember them so the drummer for hot snake was the drummer in delta 72 and gar wood was in the band tanner which is one of those like re- well respected underground bands that people talk about from from san diego yep. um so that's how that band uh, came together. It came together after uh, Rock from the Crypt dropped from Interscope, and he started Swami Records to start putting out other other uh, bands. And that's he started actually Hot Snakes and Sultans at the same time. Um, yeah, they, I, rem- I remember that. And they they share a member. They share the drummer, um, Mario. Rubacabra, Rublacabra, Chupacabra. <laughs> Something sonically that's interesting um, that I picked up on as I was uh, listening to the the Jericho, um, Jericho Sirens record from Hot Snakes and this at the same time. Um, Bass wise, it's interesting. Like this band, uh, Drive Like Jay Hughes, uses more of a distorted kind of gr- grindy bass with the guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hosnix tends to you know, that record uses a, a fuller, like more low end, and uh, it makes a huge difference. It, it really like makes the overall sound bigger, and also it's easier to discern like what a guitar is versus what bass is. I'd be curious to hear like this this record with with not that there's anything wrong with the bass, but it just maybe get a different appreciation of like the sonic si- possibilities and like the size of the, the sound, um, how it could be affected by just choosing a different bass tone. Um, and that also adds to the abrasiveness of this record, right? It's like everything's fuzzed out and distorted. The vocals are super aggressive. The tempos are super aggressive. Like if you can take one of those things and just tone it down a little bit, I mean, it, that's probably not what they were going for, but you know, this is, I think was all done for, with a lot of intent, but it was just interesting to me to, to hear, uh, you know, another take at this type of thing with the same similar people. Right. Um, sound similar, but also different just by what base tone was. So how do you rate the record, Jay? Were the album better EP or decent single? Um, I'm going to wear the album. I think your point about you're hearing it's it's pretty obvious a lot of other bands 
uh, were influenced by this um, and inspired by it. Everything from at the drive-in and a lot of like kind of post post hardcore mm-hmm. that also kind of melded with emo. So it was interesting that you kind of mentioned that too, because those two things kind of, to me, like crisscrossed and sometimes some were sometimes were very different and sometimes not that different. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this band seems to be like a, a common thread that maybe both of those could go back to um, as a point of reference. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's um, worth a listen and invest spending some time in. And then, yeah, everything we talked about on its own merits in terms of uh, just just pure energy, you know, um, that's they're, they're harnessing here and, and putting together to something that's, you know, pretty unique for its time. It's It sounds pretty good still. Like mm-hmm. I, it's sonically, it's not too bad, you know, especially for being as um, loud of a record, you know. Um, you If you, like I said, you listen to the last three tracks, which are, I think, recorded differently, you can kind of hear those get a little brittle. And this is just a little step up that really helps a lot um, in terms of being able to, you know, get through this record without your ears being completely torched. <laughs> um, I agree with you. We're the album on this. It's, I mean, this is not going to everybody be, be everybody's piece of, of cake or, or yep. everybody's um, uh, cup of tea, I should say, yep. uh, is the proper uh, I like cake. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, I like really? Tea. Who would take I like tea, tea over cake. cake? Sure. Um, it's it's not without its, its you know minor faults, um, like we mentioned with the slower stuff, but it's such an interesting record. There's just... There's so few albums that sound like this that are as unique and and are able to pull off what they're doing without sounding like a complete mess. Um, it's just and it's it's just a fascinating precursor of what was basically going to happen over the next ten years with so many bands. So it's it's a really interesting listen. And um, I'm glad we we got to it. Eventually, we we'll have to get to all of John Reese's bands. So uh, we'll have to start. We'll have to start that 2000s podcast so we can hit Sultans and back off Cupids and and all that other stuff. So uh, we need to thank our patrons, and we need. Well, first of all, we need to thank uh, Kwame Johnson for suggesting Yank Crime. He did so by going to our podcast website which is digmeoutpodcast.com and going to our suggest an album section where you just drop the name of an album and maybe a little comment in there and uh, we'll put it into one of our polls it'll it'll get churned by our excel spreadsheet and uh and then pulled out along with uh eight other records for a monthly poll and um like this, the, it'll get voted on, and then it'll end up an episode. So that's how this uh, this big machine works that uh, turns one little uh, comment into a uh, a full forty five minute episode. Um, in addition, at uh, digmeuppodcast.com, you can sign up for our box newsletter delivered every weekend to your email inbox. It's also available to our Patreon uh, patrons. We keep track of all the new releases coming out relevant to the podcast, 80s and 90s TV show, not TV shows, maybe TV shows, uh, movies, uh, albums, books, 
and uh, we provide you with a couple of quick reviews every week of uh, new material that's coming out. Might be a documentary, it might be an album, might be a book. You never know. And uh, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. Especially if you're in Great Britain, we want to we want to crack that top ten over in Great Britain because uh, it's ripe for the picking. So we need a lot of Britpop albums from uh, from the '90s so we can. Yeah, we're, I don't think we've done in. any. Uh, haven't done it in a while, have we? No, it's it's been a while since we've done some some like serious British, uh, you know, '90s. There's so UK much 90s. of it, and we. It seemed like we, there was like maybe in the, in the mid seasons we we had a nice streak there, but there was so much of it and we barely scratched the surface. I think last year the only UK stuff we did was like Portishead and Skunk Anansi Anansi. Hmm. That's about it. I don't I don't think. And then you know we did Lush the year before. Yeah. Um, it's been pretty, uh, or curve, uh, two years ago. It's so it's, it's been We're a averaging while one, one a year. Yeah, basically. So hey, uh, uh, somebody get United some menswear in here. Hey, United Kingdom, Australia's kicking your ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Apparently Australia was the big, uh, was the big scene in the nineties, not, uh, London. Who knew? Yeah. According to our according to our uh, archives, that's what it looks like. So uh, uh, you know you can also uh, join us at Patreon. That's where you go to uh, support the podcast, keep the archive of 520 episodes free for everybody to enjoy, and um, that's it for Jay. I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. <laughs>